Thank you for listening to All Things Big and Small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Welcome to ATBS, the podcast, all things big and small. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. Thanks, as always, for joining. Today, we have a young man joining us on the show. His name is Garrett Kopp. He lives in Tupper Lake, New York, and he started a company called Birch Boys. Birch Boys is in the mushroom business. They are in the harvesting of wild mushroom business, and then they sell retail wholesale around the country. I asked Garrett in a conversation the other day to come up with a couple of ideas for conversations here on ATBS, the podcast. And here's what he came up with for today's episode. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Exposing mycophobia and the sentient life of wild fungi. Let's go on a mushroom journey with Garrett Cobb. Garrett, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm glad. We've had a couple of conversations over the phone over these past couple of weeks, and we can roll into an interesting, what I know will be a very interesting conversation under the title of Exposing Mycophobia and the Sentient Life of Wild Fungi. Yeah, that's what I see every day. It's pretty pretty fascinating the state of society's you know connotations with fungi what we think they are it's just very different from from what they actually are i guess i'll start with uh garrett is located in tupper lake new york deep within the adirondack park deep in the adirondack forest i grew up in the adirondacks myself i think it's a really unique part of the world six million acres of public and private land. It's almost like an experiment, right? Um, you live there. You were born there, right? Born in Tupper? Yep. Well, I guess I was born in Saranac Lake, just 20 minutes <laughs> down the road. But yeah, and I grew up in Tupper Lake my whole life. So fantastic. Well, let's start there with, you know, growing up in a place like that where you're a young man. I don't need to start with that. You're very educated. You're very intelligent. You're really good at what you do. How'd you get into it? And I know part of the story, but I think it's worth sharing and, and our listeners will appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. It is kind of interesting, my beginnings into fungi. It was not something that I learned about from a super young age. I was pretty young, but really I was just an overall outdoorsman. I every day after I got home off the bus would go out into the woods. And it, you know, even at the time I was very aware of the fact that very few people do this anymore, but I was, uh, basically, you know, going out building forts from the time I was 10 years old running around barefoot. And that was just 
kind of how I spent my afternoons. I never had a gaming system besides a computer. And uh, I actually got into YouTube. I got into uploading videos of the things I was doing out in the woods. So I was really into it all. I was into tracking wildlife. I was into wild plant identification, you know, primitive skills, survival, that kind of stuff. But when I was 15, I learned about chaga, which was introduced to me as the king of mushrooms or the king of herbs. And that was by my grandmother. And I used to mow her lawn here in Tepper Lake. Basically, one day after I finished mowing her lawn, she brought me inside and I was really thirsty. So I opened her fridge and I grabbed a big jug of what I thought was iced tea. And I poured myself a glass of this tea. I drank it all quicker than she could even realize what I was doing. And by the time she did, she looked at me and she saw that I had just, you know, drank a full cup of chaga. And she just laughed hysterically because she had just learned about chaga. And uh, she was like, oh my God, you're drinking a mushroom. And then I got scared. You know, I thought I was about to start hallucinating or just flat out die. I had no idea. And I kind of shared in the ignorance of of society in general. Um, But she dragged me into her backyard and showed me where she picked it. And she actually had a piece of chaga growing right in her backyard on a birch tree. So that was how I was introduced to fungi. She said, you know, this is the cure-all. And, you know, I don't necessarily share these views. Uh, This was her introduction to me, to Chaga. And at the time, she was just saying, oh, it can do this, it can do that, it fights this, it protects against that. And I thought she was crazy. But, you know, I did some research online, found out there was some validity to a lot of what she was talking about. And then I just started seeing Chaga everywhere. It was like after I saw it that first time, I could see it everywhere all the time. Did your grandmother, where did she grow up? Uh, Tupper Lake. So the information passed down from generations. You know, believe it or not, she actually had just learned about it. She went on a trip, I think, to Maine, and she had just learned about Chaga. So this was something that came to her very, very recently, right before she had taught me. And she still had that, like, you know, erratic enthusiasm. Those are the words I just used to describe it. It was erratic enthusiasm. (laughs) And it was contagious. And that started you on a, uh, what has been, again, I've, I've followed your story for a couple of years now. And well, I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story. ATBS, the podcast, the genesis of it was this idea that maybe, you know, thriving with cancer would be, you know, a topic that should be covered. And, you know, just with some of the things that I had discovered through my journey, And early on, one of the things that I, and I can't remember exactly how I, what I was looking for researching, but it was in the neighborhood of three and a half or four years ago. And I was doing some research and I came across Chaga in, you know, just Googling this, Googling that cancer fighting herbs and mushrooms and things like that and came across Chaga. And then when I read where it occurs, what it grows on the birch tree, having spent the first 28 years of my life in the Adirondacks, I was like, well, I was surrounded by birch trees. I got to believe it's there. And then somehow I found birch boys through that search, you know, then spending time in Lake Placid in the summertime. Oh, well then there it is. You know, then you start to become familiar. It's amazing that you can spend in my case, 
you know, decades of a life and have no idea what I'm looking at when I'm wandering through the woods and, and there, you know, there's Chaga. And so we become aware of things along the way. And I think it's really now ATBS, the podcast is really about exactly what we're talking, how we're speaking about this, which is at some point we are introduced to an idea, concept, plant, an herb, a fungi, then we learn more and we learn more and we learn more. And if we can turn some lights on, and in your case, your grandmother turned the lights on for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was really kind of interesting. Like you said, I knew as soon as I looked at it, oh, I've seen this before, but I would have had no idea what it actually was. So you were in high school and you were already spending a lot of time outdoors. So now you're at that point, then you, your eyes are just focused in a little different direction or an added element, right? Yep. And uh, it's funny. I remember driving, you know, my eyes are in the trees scanning for Chaga. As soon as I got my driver's license, that was really when I started doing this and I started picking it and going to farmer's markets and really learning from the other people that knew about Chaga. It was really fascinating how Chaga was introduced to culture here in the Western world because all the research that had been conducted on Chaga up until that point was in Russia. And in Russia, the bulk of this research was actually going on during the Cold War. So it makes perfect sense, really, why it took us so long to figure this out. But in 1987, there was this book called The Cancer Ward that was uh, written by a Russian novelist, and he referenced chaga in it. It was one of the herbs he used to rid himself of cancer. Um, and you know, this was just translated. He translated all of this research for the first time in 1987. So slowly through the woodwork, people started to figure it out. All right. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. I think this is a good time to do a disclaimer for both of us. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a mushroom expert. <laughs> I study health and wellness, but by no means am I a doctor. So nothing I say, none of my products are intended to treat, cure, diagnose, or prevent any disease or ailment. And nothing I say should be substituted or used as a substitute for advice from a licensed practitioner. Thank you for that. I, I know that we have to do that. And, and here at ATBS Podcast, I'll have the disclaimer. Um, we're recording this on June 4th and, and ATBS, the podcast goes live on June 15th, which I'm so excited about. I've been working on this project for, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of six or eight months. Uh, specifically, I think I've been working on this project for a lifetime, just not knowing it. So I'll have a very similar disclaimer on our website and, and, you know, ATBS, the podcast, you know, I'm not a doctor and Garrett's not. And so this is information to be shared and researched and share with your doctor if you care to and see where it goes. I can speak for myself. And again, I'll go back a little bit to my, you know, the genesis of this whole podcast in the first place is I am a cancer thriver. I do participate in conventional Western medicine, and I also have sought out a wide range of other healing modalities that I think work for me. And I see it as a big jigsaw puzzle or a big mosaic of additions that things that I add in, things that I research and learn about and and integrate into my life. And then there are certain things that 
I don't necessarily feel are over time are important. And so I remove those from my personal protocol. But I think for me, one thing that's really important is that in, this is on the health and wellness front that we should each take responsibility for our health and wellness. Whatever way we choose, we are beings of free will. So we get to choose as individuals. And it's one thing that's really important to me in my life is, and especially within a, a personal cancer journey is, you know, I get to make the choices. I can take information from the people in the white coats at the Cancer Institute. I can take information that I find on mushrooms. I can, whatever I choose, but I have the free will and I do exercise it. I think that's a super important point. And if you take that along with, you know, the phenomenon or the fact that the truth is we really just fundamentally, I think most people in the Western world have a broken relationship with the natural world. So not only plants and herbs, but, you know, especially fungi, I call it mycophobia because there's like, you know, not only an ignorance, but an actual disdain for fungi where people are taught in some ways that you're incapable of having this autonomous relationship with your own health. And that's one thing I don't like. This isn't a substitute for talking to a doctor, but at the same time, we should be trained that we are all competent. We're all able to make informed decisions about our health. But at the same time, we're also trained, you know, to never eat or acknowledge a mushroom, you know, because it's like a bad poisonous thing. And that's one thing that always blew my mind, especially as I was getting into chaga and getting into, you know, even so much has changed in like the seven years it's been since I learned about it in that connotation. But really for a long time, it's like people just thought these things were bad or poisonous or out to get you. It's all about thinking for yourself. So here we are, and you came up with really the title of this episode. And, and you know, I'll share this with our listeners that Garrett and I were having a conversation about this. I called, I introduced myself, told him what I was doing. You said, why don't you come up with what you want to talk about? And I said, well, let's have you do that because you're the, you're the mushroom expert. So exposing mycophobia, and I think that's really, we are afraid of the unknown, right? Like if we see mushrooms and we've been told for so long that, hey, you don't know if it's poisonous or somebody might have that feeling that it's a magic mushroom and so that it's going to be psychoactive, right? And that, oh my gosh, you don't want to take that. And that, that's a whole other subject. And then, as you said, exposing mycophobia and the sentient life of wild fungi. So let's dive right into that and let's, uh, let, let's see if we can debunk some myths. Great. So the most important place to start in talking about fungi as you know sentient beings is definitely, in my opinion, distinguishing a mushroom from a fungus. Because you can sit in a room of 100 people and ask the question, what's the difference between a mushroom and a fungus? And somehow we don't know. It's like we were never actually taught this. Anyway, it's a very simple answer. The difference is that every fungus, or uh, let me put it this way, every mushroom comes from a fungus, but not every fungus produces a mushroom. So in that sense, a mushroom is actually just defined as, you know, the spore agent of a fungus. So 
it's really like a reproductive organ. A mushroom is nothing more than something that might pop out of the ground at a strategic time to deploy spores. But the fungus that lives beneath it, and if you're talking about a typical you know, mushroom with a stem and a cap, then the fungus is going to be underground. And that might permeate, you know, three to four feet underground, or in some cases, like the honey fungus, it can actually be up to three square miles large, one single organism. So this has been studied, you know, the honey fungus, there's one in Oregon that currently holds the title of the largest organism in the world. And they've been studying it, I believe, since like the 19... 19- 60s. So we know this thing is like at least 60 years old as well. So I think that's a good place to start about thinking about these things, about what they really are. You know, we really have no way of studying them underground, how vast these networks of mycelium uh, or fungi, fungus might actually be. All that we see is the mushroom. Are mycelium and fungi interchangeable? Well, yeah, I mean, a a fungus is basically the all-encompassing term of the organism. So you have a mushroom up on top, you know, that breaks the surface, but beneath the mushroom, you have this like white thread-like, you know, it's almost like a neural network. A lot of people refer to it. It looks exactly the same. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it acts the same, but that's the mycelium. So you have like this white, it's kind of like a root system, but it's much more it's much smaller and much more thread-like and Mm -hmm. it can rapidly kind of change. That's mycelium. So I sometimes use fungus and mycelium interchangeably, but fungus, I guess, just refers to the whole organism. When a spore, because you're out in the woods and I asked you before we started recording, you know, how frequently, and of course you're a business owner and an entrepreneur and, and you've got the Birch Boys Inc. and you know, there's lots to do and you've been working at it for a good while and putting great products out there into the world. And I encourage listeners to go to birchboys.com and and check it out. I think the website's been redone fairly recently, but, you know, you can go there and you can buy product. You can learn about what Garrett has been doing and there's a science component to it. And it is being harvested sustainably on private land in the Adirondack Park but you know you can track your chaga from you know the where the region the town the area that it was harvested all the way through the process into your tea or into your tincture right and i, I think that's wonderful we need more of that transparency right it's the one where it's key to me i love it and then also we vote with our money how we spend our money where we choose to spend our money and what companies we choose to support yeah, we're voting with our dollars every day. And I encourage you to check out Garrett and Birch Boys. And we'd been in communication via email a couple of years ago because I was thinking about, you know, becoming an ambassador, really. I, I just was so enamored with your product. And I was like, so let's do something together. And so I had your email address, but I just picked up the phone eight to 10 days ago. And your voicemail that for the business says, you know, dial one for retail, two for wholesale, three for something else and four for all of the questions. And I hung up the first time because I didn't want to get filtered out. I wanted to talk to you. And then I thought, well, that's pretty silly. You're not going to talk to anybody if you don't ring through. So I dialed back and I pressed four and you picked up the phone. (laughs) 
in the world we live in today, the likelihood that you could actually, and maybe I shouldn't say that because that was like you said, that was like the bat line or something. But the fact that we live in a world that most of the time you won't get in touch with the person who runs the show and you picked up the phone. And I think that you're there, you're working, you're passionate, you're knowledgeable, you've got a tight-knit team of people. And for my listeners, if you're interested, I can attest to the fact that the products are fantastic. You know, spend your money with somebody that you like and that you know and that you can go and research. And if you really wanted to, you could probably pick up the phone and talk to Garrett. I wanted to put that in. I think it's really important because... You know, you can walk into a store and buy tea and the likelihood that you're ever going to pick up the phone and talk to the person who produces it, not very likely. So I appreciate what you're doing on that front. Thank you. Let's go back in the woods. Let's go back to the sentient life of wild fungi and what you've learned. You know, there's a lot of chaga conversation. There are other mushrooms in the woods, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'll go back to the honey fungus because I experienced something last year that really kind of blew my mind. The honey mushroom is honey fungus is also referred to as the shoestring fungus, by the way. Um, And that's kind of the way that it actually connects from tree to tree, because you'll see the mushroom itself growing at the base of certain trees. And then underground, there's It's almost like a root. You would mistake it for a root probably if you didn't know what you were looking at. But that part is the shoestring. And the shoestring is just like a thread of mycelium that basically connects from tree to tree. Anyway, I was out on this place between Tupper Lake and Saranac Lake called Corey's Road. It's a beautiful road. It goes back to like the Racket Fall trailhead and the the Seward trailhead. So it's really kind of a direct access route to some of the most vast wilderness that still exists in the Adirondacks. I was there a lot in the summer last year of 2019. And one day uh, I was out there looking for mushrooms and I knew that evening that it was going to rain. It was going to be like a torrential downpour. So I was out kind of looking for mushrooms that one day, and this was in August, There was nothing the day that I was looking, and it was really kind of disappointing. So I came home, but I knew that that rain was coming. And if you're into mushroom hunting, then you would be well aware of this fact that right after a rain is when mushrooms typically are going to grow. And sometimes it actually happens at night, the nights that that rainfall will come. So I knew I was going to go back the very next day. I went back the very next day. And as far as the eye could see, I was just seeing these huge brown mushrooms that were growing at the bases of certain trees. And, you know, every 30 feet away or so of one of these trees, you'd find another one of these trees with another flush of mushrooms. And I drove the whole length of this road, which is uh, much further than three miles, <laughs> much <laughs> further than the honey fungus in Oregon that currently holds the title. And I was you know, running on each side of the road deep into the woods just to see how far this thing went. And all I could conclude was that it was everywhere. <laughs> and what was fascinating to me was knowing that it all fruited in one night. 
So there was like a simultaneous element to it that made me believe, you know, this must be all one organism. It was just like the most mind blowing thing I had ever seen because I went back the very next day. And as soon as it started to dry up, these mushrooms start rotting, insects are flocking to it, and it all actually disappears in about 48 hours. So I just couldn't help but think about the fact that if I was not in the woods that one day and the day before, you know, those two days back to back, I really wouldn't have understood what an amazing phenomenon that I had just witnessed, which was like, truthfully, what I think is probably the largest organism in the world that just fruited, you know, a strategic deployment of spores. And then uh, they go away for a year. So once a year. Yeah. I mean, I say that about this fungus in particular, because I go to Corey's Road a lot. So I, I would know if this had happened at all, you know, throughout 2019, other than that. And it didn't, it was really like a, a one day thing that I witnessed. So it was just mind blowing. That is amazing. It's such a privilege. Yeah. And what kind of mushroom was that? That was a uh, the honey mushroom. It was a honey mushroom. Fungus. Okay. Yep. It's yeah. a genus Amarilla. Got it. I think there's two different types under that genus. So wow. I don't know which, but. I think it's interesting here at this point to talk about our connection to the natural world or lack thereof. You know, yeah, let's hear your, you, you live in it, right? We've talked about where you live. You're deep in the Adirondack Park, deep in the Adirondack Forest. So many people don't have that privilege, right? They're, you know, I imagine there are going to be pl plenty of people who hear this who are like, well, that's great, Jeff and Garrett, but I don't live in the Adirondacks. I live in Chicago or I live in Tampa Bay, Florida or someplace where that opportunity is less apparent. Right. It's less vast, number one, but let's just talk about that a little bit connecting to the natural world, because I think we can do it. I think more people can do it if they know what to look for or how to do it. Right. I agree. It, I think it probably seems like an opportunity to anyone, you know, <laughs> but uh, upon closer inspection, and I say that, you know, even me every day, I'm learning more about how viable this as an actual lifestyle rather than like, you know, an opportunity, because the truth is that if we think about this, just like historically, when Europeans came to America and colonization happened, we actually destroyed a lot of culture and knowledge that existed about the resources of our land. So we didn't really grow up in our land for thousands of years where maybe people did in other regions like China, right? And, you know, Chinese medicine is kind of an anomaly in its own right. And we think of these things as kind of crazy but truthfully, there's just so much that we don't know. We really never took an opportunity to get to know our land. So for me, you know, I just learned about these things called, uh, I forget the name, but they're, they're these plants that <laughs> uh, someone pointed out to me the other day while I was on a hike and they're everywhere and you eat them and they're delicious. And we made like a huge salad. But if I were to go out and pick as many as I wanted or could, you know, you quickly start to realize, like, why do I even buy groceries? <laughs> like, why, why is that even a thing? Like, you can say, I, oh, I, 
financially, I can't afford to go to the Adirondacks, but truth be told, like we don't have to pay for anything if we really have a, a relationship with our forest. And obviously, you know, there's laws. This is a lot of what I'm talking about here is state land. I'm fortunate enough to lease 220,000 acres of private land for the harvesting of mushrooms. But there are certain things we can do on state land here in the Adirondacks that really would make it worth your time getting out there and going and engaging with the forest. I also think that with what we're experiencing in the world today, and we talked about this before we started recording as well, you know, will this come up? You know, we are deep into the coronavirus pandemic. We are experiencing the civil unrest that I think is necessary and it's an opportunity. I think both things provide us with a really unique opportunity in historic terms. Speaking specifically about the the pandemic, what I've heard from a lot of people that I engage with is their desire to grow more of their own food. Yeah. Their desire to have a garden, to compost, to do what they can, you know, within the context of where they live, how they live, the space available, things like that. And I've also heard from another friend, well, you know, because times are challenging financially, she said something like, I, I just don't feel like I can even afford to go buy plants. I mean, we're, you know, she was talking partly about flowering plants and, and partly about, you know, vegetable starts and herbs and things like that. And my first reaction is you can't afford not to. Actually, I guess my first reaction was we could go out in the forest. Most people now know that I'm in Park City, Utah, and there's a fair amount of land around us. You know, it's the high desert, so it's not the Adirondacks, but it's completely different. But you can go out, and if what you really want to do is have a garden, you can, to your point, there are things that you can do on land, whether it be state land, and I don't know all the laws, but take a cutting where it's legal and bring it home and put it in the ground or start to root that in your house or... You know, there's so many ways to go to get in touch with nature and growing. You know, I know other people who grow mushrooms. I know people who grow magic mushrooms, you know, for the psilocybin. I think it's important to become curious. That's so much what ATBS, the podcast is about is let's be curious. Let's have conversation non-dogmatic, non-judgmental, share information, build community. And okay, so what can we do to get out in the woods? I think it would be interesting, Garrett, if if somebody lives in, let's take New York City as an example. Central Park is a pretty, I don't know exactly how big Central Park is, but I think it's pretty substantial. It's not Adirondack substantial, but it's pretty good size. What would... I mean, there there have to be mushrooms growing in Central Park, wouldn't you think? Oh yeah, Dif and they're <laughs> they're going to be different too than the ones that grow up here. I know that for sure. You know, I have a, a very good friend who who lives in in Manhattan, and if, if she hears this, Kathleen, if you should hear this, and uh, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if you go? Oh well, that that'd be cool to go out and see what I can see. If I walked in Central Park after a rainstorm. What fruiting bodies would I see? You know, what mushrooms would I see? And 
what phenomenon would I become familiar with? So I, I think there are lots of ways to get out, get connected to the natural world. I was just going to say in that case in particular, I know there's mycology groups and mushroom hunting groups on Facebook, specifically in some of these more urban areas like New York City that, you know, all the time I'm kind of, you know, ability to monitor what's going on in Central Park because of these groups I'm in on Facebook. So definitely look into the community behind it all because there is a lot to learn and they can be a tremendous resource. You know, here we are living in this time in history where there is such connection uh, or <laughs> there's such connection and such disconnection, which sounds odd, but we can be connected to people that we, you know, 20 years ago was just an impossibility. The caution is social connection, social social media connection. Don't confuse that with being connected to people or the natural world, right? Step outside and go explore have you ever considered uh, like hosting people or, or you know, yeah. having classes or excursions or anything like that? Yeah. So in fact, last year I led probably six group led forays in the Adirondacks where I actually had a calendar on my website where you could sign up and buy tickets. It was only $15 to join. It was restricted to 15 people maximum because that's just a local law. I actually have to get my guide license to do it again because I <laughs> should have done that. And, you know, despite contacting the DEC and trying to get all my ducks in a row, sometimes it's actually really hard to get the right information. Yeah. So I, I fully intend on doing that again this year, starting probably with the Rishi harvest. And I say it like it's the thing, right? It wasn't really a thing, the Rishi harvest. It's not like this is <laughs> a thing that people attend, but you bet it is now. <laughs> That's the way I'm looking at it. And, you know, I just wanted to touch on the building a relationship and a connection and how important it is to get outside. It's also important to me to treat, you know, the outside, <laughs> the outside, the outdoors as, you know, something that is capable of interacting with you to some extent. So, you know, I make sure that when I pick a mushroom or a plant, or or even when I embark on a foraging trip, I actually am trying to talk to the plants and animals. And of, of course, I don't hear anything back in a literal sense, right? They're not going to, you know, come singing to me through my head. But uh, really, the more that you consciously acknowledge them and are respectful of nature, the more of like an allowance that you actually will get and present itself to you. It's a real thing. You know, indigenous people have been talking about this forever. And there's actually certain practices that have been done. Uh, but I think it's important when you're encouraging anyone to go out in the woods and pick mushrooms or, or to pick plants that you, you know, just educate them a little bit on the pre existing kind of traditions that exist about, you know, acknowledging these things as as life forces of their own, you know, certain things that you can do to give a piece of yourself when you take, you know, a plant or a mushroom away from the forest. And like I said, there's an allowance naturally that, that I believe will prevail or present itself to you. If you're not meant to find a mushroom, then you're not going to. So I believe that I could speak more specifically to some of the sentient nature 
of some of these things in a minute, but. Yeah, please. I'll chime in on the, the piece that you're just talking about, you know, acknowledging the abundance, the gifts that are presented in the world, in the universe. As you were talking about that, I was thinking of quantum physics and the quantum relationship, you know, or the relationships within the quantum field that, like you said, they're not singing and you can't hear that, but there is very definitely an interplay in my opinion. And, and, you know, it sounds very much like in yours and your experience that this is a dance we are all dancing within the universe and connected and our actions have an effect you know, when we observe, and this is all into the quantum physics, you know, just by observing, we change the result, mm -hmm. you know, just by you being in the forest and, and being there or, or any of us, you know, we, we change what is happening. We have an impact and positive or negative. Very glad you said that. It adds some validity to what I was trying to say. And it's true. It's a science that we just don't understand. Right. I think we're understanding it more. I think people are, and it's becoming more, I don't know if it's mainstream, but you know, I talk about things regularly. It's one of the things I love so much about this project that I'm doing that, you know, I get to have these conversations and then I go out into the world and I have just, you know, conversations with friends and they're like, no, I've never really heard of that. <laughs> I'm like, really? You haven't heard of that? Which again, back to what am I trying to accomplish? What are my intentions with ATBS is let's spread information and have conversation and, and build community. And next time, hopefully somebody who's listening, you know, next time you're taking a walk in the woods, realize that there is an interplay and through the interconnection of all things, no matter what we believe in, you know, but knowing that just by being there, there's an interplay with the things around you. And I think that you getting out into the woods. And, and I love the fact that you're leading forays into the woods. I'll, I'm going to keep my eyes open. I intend to be in the Adirondacks somewhere, usually between July 15th and August 15th for some period of time. And, and I can't wait to come over and see you and whether I can join a foray or, or we can just connect that way. I look forward to it. Let's go back to the, the piece that you wanted to touch on, the, the sentient yeah. So, I mean, and I've noticed this with fungi in particular, that's not to say that plants don't share some of this, but uh, fungi are just a little bit different. The honey fungus is one example where, you know, there's that rain and then spontaneously overnight, you can have that much fruiting activity, you know, that synchronized kind of deployment of spores. When you observe it, to the depth that I have, you really start to wonder like how on earth that could have happened without some sort of planning or, or, you know, quick thinking, some sort of reaction. It's not like a fern where it's like, okay, you know, between April X and May 15th, you know, these ferns are going to start to appear. I've actually tried to map out and make like a mushroom calendar of when certain mushrooms are going to start fruiting in my region based on, you know, the time of year. And you can't really do that. It's not as simple as I thought it would be because there's an element of free will, I guess, with the fungi that really just blows my mind every time. And Rishi is a good example as well. Um, Rishi 
is like biannual in its growth or at least about, you know. So the first time I had ever harvested reishi was when I noticed it was exploding everywhere in the woods in uh, 2018. 2019, reishi just decided not to grow. And (laughs) here we are in 2020 and everyone is like anticipating, you know, reishi to come back and you know, thank God it did. So we're starting to see reishi growing <laughs> everywhere. But you start to ask some of these old timers because I'm only 22 years old. So this is all <laughs> relatively. You said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's only so many summers of reishi that I've even been able to witness. So uh, you start to talk to some of the old timers, and they'll be like, "Yeah, it'll grow about every other year," and I'm like okay, well, what's that mean? And why? And there's all of these different theories. And, you know, I can't wait to to just experience maybe two or three more years of mushroom hunting, because there's still so many things like this, you know, that I have yet to be able to actually capture data on. So much of it is just what I've seen and been fortunate enough to observe. But, you know, I have to go back and see if this honey fungus is going to fruit again this year. And I have to go and wait and see if reishi is going to be, you know, every other year or if it's going to change. So it's really just interesting. Well, it's like being a gardener and I forget the quote exactly, but you know, it's not the same every year. You can't set your calendar to it. And there you are in the, you know, part of the world where you're fortunate to have so much space. And so your garden is naturally there and very large. How cool is it to have the experiences, as you said, right? You only have so much personal experience at this point. You talk to the old timers, of which in the Adirondacks there are plenty. <laughs> and 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 I encur- I think that's another encouragement for my listeners. You know, if there are elderly people around, engage with them and see what there is to learn. So cool for you to be you know, a young man and having your own experiences. And I imagine gaining, you know, like street cred or woods cred, forest cred with people around the region. Is that a reasonable (laughs) assumption? Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's how I put it into my own terms in my own head a lot. I'm often underestimated, but I come to these people with very serious questions that reflect, okay, like he's, he knows what he's talking about and he's willing to learn more. So, you know, there's age biased. Yeah. Right. Like in business, I've had the experience where, you know, a young man specifically came to work for me and he was in his mid twenties. He said, Jeff, most of the people we're selling to are in their mid, you know, North of 40. And I said, yeah, they're going to make some judgment they're going to question your credibility initially. Then you just have to show yourself as being knowledgeable. Yeah, that worked out. He ended up being one of the very best salespeople I ever had. And so here you are at 22 years old, gaining credibility. I know I saw something on the website that you went and presented at the Adirondack Park Agency. Is that correct? Yeah. The APA and the Adirondacks folks is a kind of the governing body of the entire park. <laughs> and if you're going to do something within the park that you're probably going to have to address the APA at some point. And I didn't dig too deeply, but what was your presentation on to the APA? 
So I got to be honest, when they wanted me to present, I had no idea what they wanted me to present on. They just wanted me to come in and talk about my business. And (laughs) I interpreted that as like, oh my God, like they're cracking down. Like they think I'm doing something wrong. I got to really show them my commitment to sustainability, to transparency, et cetera. So I went and I just showed them everything we do, how we do our harvesting. I really focused on the harvesting, our lease with Mulpus Woodland Group, basically, you know, the sustainability of it. And it's pretty simple, you know, like Rishi is a good example. You just wait until the mushroom drops its spores. And there's some pretty obvious physical characteristics that will occur when it does. And that's when you pick the mushroom. So I just prepared a presentation on things that I thought maybe they would be interested in learning. And they were just enthralled by it. You know, they issued me an award. It's actually at my desk. You know, I'm looking at it right now, just thanking me for my efforts to, you know, the local economy as well as sustainability. And I couldn't believe it. I went into it with, you know, intentions like thinking that they were out to get me, but they were actually really just curious and kind of uh, inspired about what I was doing. So. Well, and kudos to them for engaging. There's another guy in the Adirondacks, a young man named Zach Horrocks, and he's a fisherman and he's a, you know, he's a guide. And I've had many conversations with him uh, about what he experiences on the water, whether it be rivers or lakes. And I put these in air quotes, what the experts say, you know, like this species doesn't exist in the Adirondacks. He's like, oh yes, it does. <laughs> right. Cause, cause he's on the ground, right. He's just like you in the woods, um, you know, he's on the water more than anybody I know. And so he's just got a tremendous amount of information. And I think we can all learn age doesn't matter, you know, experience does. And, you know, if we're willing to engage, ask questions, not have age or gender bias or, you know, oh my gosh, we could go into the, that would be a, a conversation starter, yeah. <laughs> you know, with what we're experiencing in the, in the world today. I think the subject is being well covered by others. Um, so we're not diving you know, into that conversation. I think it's a very worthwhile conversation and it's a very, very important time in history. Um, that's just not what we're talking about today. I think if we're willing to, I, I do think it's important if we're willing to engage people and listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to try and influence and don't make any assumptions about people either. You know, I that's the biggest thing about being young for me, which has been frustrating. And so many people make assumptions about what that means, about who I actually am. To be fair, people do it the other way around as well. And that saddens me. You know, I old people are awesome and they have so much knowledge. And I think that sometimes we just treat them as if, you know, they don't know how to do anything. But I've got my grandma like sending me links on my phone <laughs> and you know it's like <laughs> it's really just a mental thing and like the more positive reinforcement we all get the more you know the best of our characteristics all shine through so agreed agreed garrett would you mind sharing with our listeners I think it's really important. We're we're having this conversation about mushrooms and all of the things that we've talked about. Let's talk about the products. Let's talk about a little bit. Let's talk about Birch Boys. You know, you're out in the woods and you're learning all these things and you're a young man. And let's let's talk about the company a little bit because I, I, I'm fascinated. I love it. And I know it's worth sharing. So Birch Boys, we our mission is to 
demonstrate the benefits of a more informed relationship with North American forests and fungi. What we actually do and what we make, we make products, we make teas, we make tinctures, um, and we work you know, with mushrooms. So we sell chaga, reishi, lion's mane, turkey tail, maitake, and cordyceps. All of them have really a unique kind of range of health benefits specific to each mushroom. Chaga gives you energy and immunity. Reishi is more calming and relaxing. It's also great for allergies. Cordyceps is used for physical training and endurance. Maitake is great for your metabolism and certain bodily processes, uh, maintaining a homeostasis, like your blood pressure and your blood sugar. And uh, which one am I leaving out? Lion's mane is really a nootropic. So it has benefits for your brain. Um, They've done studies that actually show it can increase your own test results. I mean, like cognitive tests, like IQ tests. And we have a science center on our website, you know, that actually dives into the depth of real research that has been conducted on each of these mushrooms, because I can sit here and talk about them. And it's probably just going to make me look like a silly liar because some of the depth of the benefits of these mushrooms is really extraordinary. It's more than you would anticipate. So I would encourage you to go to our science center. It's really just like a organized database of links to NCBI research. So you can actually see the actual studies themselves. But NCBI is what? National Center for Biotechnology Information. It's just a very authoritative place. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Legitimate testing. I've gone and looked, and I'm glad you brought up the Science Center because I think it's far too easy. You know, obviously we had to do the disclaimer early in the episode. It's far too easy to be discounted or or just, oh yeah, these things are just whatever, however people think about mushrooms. But your Science Center has such great data and and such a great resource. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And we're just pointing to other places. Really, it's just, we just organized a lot of research that has exists and it's been conducted by doctors and researchers and medical professionals. So uh, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that any doctor that you talk to about this stuff, their general opinion is just that, you know, fungi are a frontier. Right. And there's so much to, there's so much to learn. Yeah. What are you most excited about? I, I know it's springtime, you know, early summer in the Adirondacks. What are you most excited about? I guess twofold. One, as the season comes on, right? As you get into the, the growing season is on. I talked to my sister in Lake Placid yesterday, right? Everything, the, the leaves are coming out and the seasons are changing and it's such a beautiful time of year. What are you really excited about this summer? And then additionally, at Birch Boys, what are you really excited about that you're working on? So for this summer, the easy answer, it's Rishi. I've waited two years for this and <laughs> I didn't know it was a biannual type of thing. I thought it was going to grow every year. So I got to go out and harvest enough for the next two years, at least. <laughs> so I'm really excited for that and just the content that we'll create during that and going and bringing other people into the woods to see it this year. That's the difference between the last time I harvested Rishi. I have much more of a community vibe, I think, going into it this time. I want to bring other people in to see it. So I can't wait for that. But in terms of like general enthusiasm for Birch Boys in the future, it's hard to say, but 
let me just say this. I think that, you know, I'm walking on a path that I'm meant to be walking on. And I think I found it at a really young age. So I think what I'm most excited for in general is achieving that state where I'm like 40, 45 years old, you know, a long time from now, but really have an authoritative voice to share and have done a lot of research, made a lot of discoveries. We're working on things behind the scenes right now that I can't even talk about because of, you know, intellectual property. And not that I even am passionate about pursuing intellectual property, but the fact that intellectual property is a thing means that I have to be careful about how I address it so that someone else doesn't pursue intellectual property. The truth is that I know that mushrooms and fungi are going to transform our world are going to transform the way that we look at our own health. Just being a part of that for the long haul, can't wait to see where that actually brings me. I love all of that. And I personally, and I think it'll be wonderful to follow along over many more to come. I look forward to that. And I also wanted to mention, Garrett, that, you know, we're here we are talking about you and 220,000 leased acres available for harvest for you and your company. We're not talking about making this stuff in a lab. You know, like we're not talking about making this stuff under, you know, in a building. The lab is the natural world. And I think that's important. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, you can produce chaga in a lab. You can grow reishi in a lab or in a basement or in a plastic bag or what, however you want to think about it. But the truth is that it just is not the same. And, you know, whether you're talking about the actual biological components like, like chaga, one of the components in it that is really powerful for people that are fighting cancer is the betulin and the betulinic acid. And that's a direct derivative from birch bark. So if the chaga isn't like, you know, being grown on a real birch tree in that parasitic relationship where the chaga is like, you know, for years actually tapping into this tree and drawing out all of these beneficial things, then chaga from a lab that grows on rice, you know, isn't going to have anything in it besides what you might have in rice. So it is an important distinction. I'm glad you brought that up because we are committed in our niche, you know, where we stand out at Birch Boys is like we're in the woods. You know, we're the only ones that really are exclusively wild foraging all of our mushrooms. And that level of commitment to the authenticity of our products is just unsurpassed as far as any company I have seen. I don't think I could give you a bigger plug than that. For listeners, as we said earlier, you you know you can vote with your money. You can you can affect change with how you spend your money. And if you're curious about mushroom tinctures and teas, and you want to explore it, I highly recommend checking out Birch Boys. And you know if you want to support a young man and a young company that is you know out there in the woods and doing things the right way and putting a product out there that's got all the possible benefits, then go to Birch Boys and spend your money there. That'll be a good thing over the long haul. So that's my pitch for Birch Boys. Garrett and I, we're, we're a little over an hour, which I think is a reasonable time for a podcast. Much more, I think it's a heavy lift to ask people to you know hang in there. 
when I was talking to Garrett, you know, when we were talking 10 days ago or so, we thought that there would probably be two episodes. There's enough things to talk about that we can go into a, a whole nother episode, which we will do. And I'll give you a little taste of that. The title of that or the subject for that episode is going to be Powerful Polypore Mushrooms, The Origins of Ancient Medicine. How about a little, a little hint as to where we might go with that, Garrett? That's going to be talking about some of the specific applications of all of these mushrooms that we sell, the connection between polypore mushrooms to the Adirondacks. You know, these are the bark-eating fungi, and this is, you know, the bark-eaters. That was the indigenous origin for, for the Haudenosaunee, uh, which is the actually, you know, word for Adirondack, or I'm sorry, for Iroquois, Iroquois. Yeah, the bark eaters. And it's these bark eating fungi that grow on uh, both living and dead trees that really just draw out these really incredible beta glucans and triterpenes and long chain compounds that have incredible applications for our health. I love it. Garrett, I have a big smile on my face, and, and it's one of the things I love most about doing ATBS, the podcast, is I get to have conversations like this with a person like you, doing what you're doing. It thrills me, and I'm optimistic that we can uh, cross-promote, cross-pollinate, continue to spread the good word, whatever it might be, on whatever subject that might be, and in today's case... That's um, Garrett Kopp and Birch Boys, Inc. in Tupper Lake, New York. Garrett, thanks for your time and, and thanks for your enthusiasm, your knowledge, your expertise. And thanks for being willing to share all that you have to share here on ATBS, the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for the platform. You're very welcome. Until next time, my friend, I hope you make it out into the woods today. Yeah, I will, actually. And I hope you join us for the Rishi Harvest. <laughs> I absolutely will. Thank you very much, Garrett. You too. Bye-bye. Be well. Well, that was a fun mushroom journey with a fine young man. Thank you, Garrett. And thank you to my listeners, as always, for spending some time with me here on ATBS, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, learned something new, and I hope you'll come back for the second episode with Garrett. I encourage you to visit his company, birchboys.com. When you place an order, be sure to enter promo code ATBS, and you'll receive a 15% discount on your first order. Please subscribe to ATBS and spread the word in any way you're comfortable doing so. Until next time, go outside, make friends with the outdoors.